Today's program is brought to you by Myriad Restaurant Group. For more information, visit myriadrestaurantgroup.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes and leave us a rating and give us feedback and that kind of thing. Uh, And feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today is episode number 53 of Feast Your Ears, um, and for those of you listening to this show live, you know what day it is, but in the future, um, today is the 9th of November, 2016. Uh, the United States of America just elected Donald J. Trump as president last night. Uh, he won the electoral vote, um, but he didn't win the popular vote, which is something that we maybe will talk a little bit about today that, uh, you know, over the years people complain that their vote doesn't count, and we'd like to believe that it's a democratic nation and that the democracy means all of our votes do count. Um, but with Clinton having won almost 200,000 more votes than Trump, it's hard not to feel like, um, even though Clinton won New York and I voted for her, that my vote really didn't count. Cause was it one of those 200,000? Then it didn't really count. Right. Uh, anyway, it's a weird day in New York city, uh, where I think most people, uh, <laughs> voted for Clinton. Uh, and we're not expecting to wake up this morning to find Trump as the president. I think, it, you know, life goes on. Uh, you know, almost half the Senate, almost half the House is still Democrat. It's not, you know, it wasn't a dictatorship takeover. Uh, you know, it could be a lot worse. We're not at war yet. Uh, we're not in a war zone. So uh, joining me in the studio today, uh, I am very excited, and we're going to have a fun fun talk about some other, uh, other subjects. I have Joe Frankina, who is the second-generation owner of Crest Hardware on Metropolitan Avenue here in Brooklyn. Uh, thanks, Joe, for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Joe's family runs... Uh, the best hardware store in New York. Oh, uh, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you that are not in New York or those of you that have never been inside Crest Hardware, uh, to me, it is really it is the epitome of a like family run neighborhood fixture where, you know, it's like the cheers of hardware stores. Like I've been going to that store now. I mean, I've lived in the neighborhood for 17 years and I probably went in there in my first week or two when I moved into my apartment and needed some stuff. Um, and it's, you know, it's a place where you go in and the clerks know who you are and say hi to you. You bring your dog in, you bring your kids in, they know your kids, they know your dog. Um, and they have things that, you know, you can't get at a place like Home Depot. And you can't get at, you know, most sort of regular large chain style uh, stores. So kudos to you, Joe, and your family for... I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, ...running an awesome place. So um, can you introduce yourself and, you know, say sort of who you are and what you do? And then I would love to know um, a little bit about the history of Crest. Yeah, sure. So I am uh, I'm Joe Franchina, uh, second generation owner, as you mentioned. Uh, my father, uh, Manny Franchina, started Crest Hardware in 1962 with his brother, my uncle, Joe, who I am uh, named after along with my grandfather. 
Um, my dad was always in hardware. Even he was in retail hardware before he started Crest. Um, I think he like had one of those kind of like not aha moments, more, more of like a snap when he was asked to take on a lot more responsibility in his. I think he was working for a place called Liberty Stores that don't, don't doesn't exist anymore, or Liberty Hardware, and it was down um, I think on like Fourth Avenue. Hmm. Um, in downtown Brooklyn, yeah, and uh, and he was asked to take on more responsibility, and then the boss said, "Oh, and I also I have to cut your pay as well." And <laughs> <laughs> so my dad was like, "No, I'm, he wasn't having it." So uh, so he quit, and uh, with the you know with the encouraging um, spirit of uh, my grandfather, uh, he started his own his own business, and my grandfather encouraged him as well to take on his brother as a partner, not to do it alone. Um, and that was a, a huge step for my father. And um, he took a chance on a small little unknown area in, in uh, Brooklyn called Williamsburg, um, super industrial area. Yeah. Uh, not the safest area at the time, but definitely a, um, a haven for a number of immigrants, um, Italian-American immigrants and uh, you know, Polish American immigrants, and then on the other side of Grand Street, you know, a large Latino population. Um, and he knew that there was an opportunity there just based on how much commercial business there was. Right. So um, on Metropolitan Avenue, across from where we currently are, it's where Norman Sound and Vision yep. is now the record yep. store. Uh, there was a hardware store there, and he, you know, knocked on the door, and, um, you know, the lights were off. Kind of place, the guy didn't turn on the lights unless he had a customer, and he would just sit in the back. And my dad always tells it, you know, puts on the that guy's voice, says, what do you want? And he comes, he says, you know, I'm interested in, you know, purchasing the business. Um, you know, I want to get into hardware. So, um the guy sold it to him, and um, and it started across the street. And now was Klonowski Paints there at the time? I don't think so. I think okay. we're a little bit older they than Klonowski. Um, yeah, Klonowski came a little bit later, I believe. But um, so he started there, and he grew this business, and he um, you know instantly became uh, a fixture in the neighborhood and a go-to for um, for all um, for all types for all walks that were calling Williamsburg home at the time and slowly but surely you know Williamsburg being what it was then they were practically giving away buildings right um so across the street the property became available what was in that property before it was crest one of them was a warehouse and then the other one was I think somebody's just it was just an apartment you know like a two-floor apartment building of some sort and uh so it was when my father first uh, moved across the street. It was just aisles one, two, and three. Oh, okay. Um, and that was available. And then the woman next door, you know, he, my dad tells the story as he slowly chipped away year in and year out. She first wanted like $35,000 for the building. And then next year she was like asking for 30 because no one was interested. And then <laughs> then she was asking 25. He offered her like 20 or something like that. Um, you know, we're talking like late 70s. Yeah, it's like, right. So this, for scale, everybody, this is <laughs> it is a steal now when we look back at it. But um, no, but it was a lot of money. But back yeah, then yo, it was a ton interest of money. Interest rates back were then. high. And- yeah. And it was uh, and he was still taking a chance on an area that was um, wasn't showing signs of improvement. Then sure. it was just I mean, it was derelict and, and yeah. a lot of abandoned buildings. Kent Avenue was 
the only time you went down to Kent Avenue was to score. You yeah, know, pretty totally. much. Um, I mean, even when I came to the neighborhood in the late 90s, I mean, there were still hookers on Kent Avenue. Oh, and, yeah. You know. Yeah, you bet. Like, just like burnt out cars and yep. stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. So then aisles four, five, and six were were added. And, um, and the business had kind of like grown from there. And as his, you know, it, it's just a, it's, it's nice to look back at it and and reflect on that history knowing that I've been able to try and do some of the same things like the garden center portion of it was something right. that I added when I um, graduated Fordham I went to school in the Bronx and I came back in 04 and then slowly but surely kind of trying to understand how can we tap into the newer demographic sure. that's moving in and I recognized that there was a lack of um, plant stores and, yep. and flower shops in the area so that was a huge chance. I actually built the where the greenhouse is now. Um, he was not like he was really reluctant. He was like, no, no, no. And my dad went on his first vacation and like like first long vacation. He would go away for like a weekend to the island or something. But he went away for like a two week vacation to Portugal to go visit some of his family he hadn't seen in, you know, 25, 30 years. Right. And um, I built it while he was gone. <laughs> I built it while he was gone in, you know, in the hopes that, okay, I know I'm either going to get a pat on the back or a pink slip. Right. And I didn't get either. I got a, you better make this work. Right. Um, and I think he saw that initiative. And, uh, and now, I mean, the garden center is a massive part of what we do day yeah. in and day out. Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, that's something that I think is really sort of clearly is key to the success is that you guys manage to cater to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you go in there and, you know, I go in there and I need a specific screw and I go in the back and I talk to Tony and he says, no, that's not what you want. You want this other <laughs> kind of screw or, you know, whatever it is. Or, you in know, his he, very Brooklynese yeah, kind of attitude. Exactly. Way. But he knows where everything is in that store and you can get exactly what you want. And then, you know, the next person in line says, I want to hang this thing on the wall and I don't know anything about like, you know, and so then, okay, you're hanging on plaster or wood or, you know, very much helping the person get the right thing instead mm -hmm. of saying, oh, no, no, the screws are over there. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned before that the store is very much like a Cheers, it is. It really is. Like yeah. The back counter was a huge part of it. A while back, you know, we just recently renovated a couple yep. of years back. And when we were uh, deciding how to do it, you know, we're a true value store. And a lot of people don't understand what that means, so I'll just break that down. We're, we're not a franchise. We're part of a co-op. Right. So what that means is, you know, we are essentially stockholders in true value. So it's it's not so much a competition between hardware stores as much of it is a camaraderie. A rising tide, you know, floats all ships in this type of situation. If, you know, Smith's true value wherever does well, we do well because our stock rises. Right. Um, so true value, I always kind of, you know, you have to look to them because they're corporate and, and, and there's a lot of, you know, they offer a lot. So they... We're trying to redo the blueprints and see how we can relay out the store. And every blueprint that they put in front of me had no back counter. I was like, where's my back counter? You guys, every time they eliminated the back counter, I was like, you guys don't understand what an important part of this specific store right. it is. A lot of hardware stores don't have it. But for us to eliminate that now would be a, a, a disservice, a huge disservice. Sure, so. absolutely. And then, you know, so you have someone who doesn't know what they want, and then you have the superintendent for, you know, one of the buildings with 40 apartments yeah. right around the corner who comes in and needs to fix two toilets and yeah. needs the parts for that. And then, you know, I know that for a long time, and the way that I originally found Crest was from artists in the neighborhood. You know, once, once Williamsburg got better mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s and artists moved in, they needed 
stuff. And, you know, we were all building our own lofts and, you know, needed hardware for that and needed things. And, and I know you guys have always been a big supporter of the art community. Yeah. That start, that, that definitely starts with my father. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, we were talking about the back counter. It didn't matter. Like if that superintendent came in, you know, if we, he needed to have this specific like Delta knockoff. He couldn't use Delta in like 30 apartments. Right. So he had to have the knockoff. We would carry it specifically for him. Or we realized that artists were coming in and needed like loft building supplies, et cetera. But my father was very um, accepting of the new wave uh, and the new influx of uh, artists that were coming into the neighborhood. I think the best example of that is the Crest Hardware Art Show. Yeah. Um, Gene Poole, who was the original cur- original curator for the Crest Hardware Art Show in 94, was our neighbor. So he was a neighbor. He lived two doors down. He asked my dad for some window space. He gave it to him. He asked him for the second window. gave it to him. Before you know it, Gene was kicking the door open and letting in 20, 25, 30 artists. And we were doing these shows. Uh, and I think that was a huge um, benchmark like for us in reestablishing ourselves as not your average hardware store. Sure. And um, just letting people know that this is common ground for everyone. Well, and remaining part of the community. I mean, by having the art show, by expanding to have the garden center, you really have managed to keep the store relevant and a part of the community. As the community changed, you've changed with it. Yeah, luckily. I mean, and the normal stereotype for a hardware store is that it's uh, this physically, like literally and figuratively, this dusty, archaic, um, misogynistic realm that um, is a whole bunch of know-it-alls. And if you don't take their advice, then you right. can, you know, hit the bricks. Yeah. But, I mean, I proudly say that our demographic is pretty much split down the middle. And it and it's all walks. I mean, it's, it's men, it's women, it's young, it's old. They all come in and... Um, I've always said I hope to be for the next couple of generations what my father's been able to be for the first couple of generations where of Crest's existence. Uh, and that's – it's massive and being able to recognize those differences and those changes um, and – and sometimes stay ahead of the curve and take these, you know, take some chances. Sure. I mean, you're the only hardware store I know of in the country that has both a parrot and a pig yeah. on site <laughs> often. So Yeah, Crest Petting Zoo. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. So so you have two pets. You we have do. Finley. Yes, I have Finley. Uh, he's an African gray parrot. Um, and he's pretty old, right? He is about 16 or 17 years old. Yeah. So we had first, we got Finley. Uh, he's named after Finley Hall, which is a, a, a dormitory on Fordham University's campus. But, Got it. Uh, me and my two older sisters went there, and at one point or another, we'd all spent time in this dorm, and we just liked the name. So we named him Finley, and he was home for a while, you know, at my mom's house, um, because we were all, at the time, you know, I was still in high school when we got him, because those types of birds need constant attention. But as we all moved out of the house, he would have, you know, lost his mind those those birds would have been, their been alone right yeah all alone the all day yeah. then they start to pluck out their feathers mm-hmm. and they really start to just they can they self-destruct right so we took a chance and we brought him to the shop knowing you know see if he would fit into the environment it has been a game changer for him i mean he's 
still very talkative. He's super healthy. I mean, he gets attention 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., yeah. Monday through Saturday, 10 <laughs> yep. to 5 Sunday. It's like kids love him, yep. adults love him. Um, so he's got this interesting following for a while. And they live to be about 85. Oh, like wow. Eight, yeah. Talk about, he's going to keep the generations yeah, going. Put, put him in my will or something yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, so he, he was one of the, he was the first uh, – actually, he wasn't the first animal um, at Crest. Before Finley and before Franklin, uh, we had um, a German shepherd in the, in the shop, and her name was Offset. Uh, it was because mm. her spine was offset. Oh. And so she used to walk funny down the aisles, and yeah. she used to, like, with her ass, knock everything off the, pe- <laughs> the bottom peg hooks. But she was a charmer. She would, you know, she was so... The only thing she didn't like was other animals. But, uh-huh. it, like, if there wasn't another dog in the store, like, she'd just roam the shop. If we ever saw another dog, we would just keep her behind the counter until yeah. the dog left. But uh, she was great. And she... I don't know what it is in the water at Crest. She lived to be, like... Like seventeen, like for wow. a German Shepherd, like, yeah. and it wasn't until like the last, you know, two years where her hind legs really started to go, and then we had Oreo, we had my Dalmatian, yep, um, and then his life overlapped with Franklin's, yep. you know, slightly. Uh, Franklin is the most recent addition. Franklin just turned six November first. Um, yeah, miniature potbelly pig. Yeah. You can follow Franklin on Instagram yeah. at Franklin the Pig. <laughs> That's right. His Instagram is more popular than Crest Hardware's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's. Uh, my wife and I, you know, when we started dating, um, we moved in pretty quickly together, under a year. And it wasn't shortly thereafter. She's like, so I've always really wanted a miniature popular pig. Can we get one? I was like, oh, man, what did I you know, get myself into? <laughs> but um, we did a lot of research. We did about six months worth of research. And I wanted to be able to feel confident uh, knowing that I'm offering this animal you know, what it deserves in this life. And the, you know, I didn't want him to just be penned up in the house all day. And if, if I couldn't have offered him the outdoor space that I can on a daily basis, we right. wouldn't have done it. Right. But he has an outdoor pen. He gets um, stimulation between people and pets visiting him all day. And um, yeah, he's great. He's uh, he's now very much a part of the, the Crest DNA. Yeah, you know, what absolutely. We do. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a short break um, and hear from one of our uh, sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Um, and uh, when we come back, uh, we'll keep talking about Crest and Williamsburg and fun stuff. Yeah. Proud to count the Myriad Restaurant Group as a business member of the Heritage Radio Network. Created by renowned restaurateur Drew Nieperant, Myriad consists of a diverse roster of restaurants, each one unique and memorable. Delicious food, excellent service, and genuine value are at the core of Myriad's storied history. Tribeca Grill, celebrating its 25th anniversary, helped define the Tribeca neighborhood and is the perennial winner of the Wine Spectator's Grand Award. Nobu New York has innovated new style Japanese cuisine for over 20 years. Now joined by Nobu Next Door and Nobu 57, cooking Nobu's revered signature dishes. Batard, serving modern European cuisine, was named the best new restaurant of 2014 
by Pete Wells in the New York Times and Best New Restaurant in America for 2015 by the James Beard Foundation, as well as earning a Michelin star. Myriad also serves up great ballpark dining at the Acela Club at City Field and tasty burgers at the Daily Burger at Madison Square Garden. The common thread is to be a good citizen in the communities they serve through the support of numerous charitable organizations. For more information, visit myriadrestaurantgroup.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears on this weird, drizzly post-election Wednesday in New York. Very weird. Uh, In the studio with me, if you're just joining us, I have Joe Frankina, who's the second-generation owner of Crest Hardware. And before the break, we were talking about uh, all of the awesome animals that hang out at Crest, (laughs) uh, at least the ones that you want there. I'm sure you find pests and things that you don't really want. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, why, why is it called Crest? It's called Crest because um, a, a couple of brief reasons. Number one, it was a very popular toothpaste that came out at the time or something <laughs> like that. But most importantly, um, the phone book was very, very important at that time. Right. Obviously, um, we don't see a lot of those anymore. But if you were in a pinch and you needed something, why flip all the way to like X, Y, or Z? It was, that's why there's a lot of companies called like AA Plumbing. Oh, sure, because you look in the yellow pages and it was all alphabetical. Boom. First thing you find you hardware. Yeah, so you didn't have to go too far to find yeah. Crest. It was a single syllable, yep. um, easily, easy to remember, be a lot easier than, you know, Frankinia, <laughs> True Value. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Metropolitan. Yeah, Avenue. yeah, exactly. So Crest, Crest it is, and uh, Crest it has been and always will be. Awesome. Um, for you, looking back, what was it like growing up in a, in a small family business? Like, did you go to the store every day after school? Do your homework in the back? That kind of thing? Um, I mean, I grew up in I grew up in Queens, in Maspeth, yeah. Queens. So not too far. So the 58 or the 59 bus uh, sh- shoots up and down. Um, so I worked there pretty much every, like, summer and winter vacation and break uh, from, you know, junior high you know, all the way through, you know, college. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it was, it was a simple commute, so it wasn't so bad. And yeah, I spent a lot of time there. I mean, my dad likes to reflect on remembering me in the, like the, you know, the yellow mop bucket with the wheels and those casters. And he would just like push me down the aisles. <laughs> so I've been there, you know, since I was a peanut and, graduated from sweeping to cutting boxes and, you know, this, the, the atypical kind of like family business story where you kind of just move along, but it's a, but it's a charming one. And I look back on it fondly. Um, and then, you know, my responsibilities kind of grew. And then by the time I was in college, I was like, I don't want to do this shit. I was like, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm like, I don't. And then I came back from college after I graduated, obviously like most not knowing what exactly they want to do. And just knowing that I didn't want to do hardware, I was like, I'm going to move or something. And then I started to work there. And I don't know. I, I don't know what it was that like made me realize, no, this is this is this is your opportunity. This is a fantastic opportunity. Right. I can't remember the exact moment, but I remember that. it. But it was a moment that I was like, wow, this you know, being somewhat creative and appreciating the arts this was my opportunity to do it on my own terms. Mm. Um, reintroducing the Crest Hardware Art Show, um, you know, digging back through the archives with the help of Gene Poole um, and getting a lot of those old artists back to the show 
and also acknowledging all of the new artists in the area and having them kind of like infuse this new blood with the old guard and um, have this new string of shows. And we ran it successfully f- starting in 2008 for, you know, six, seven years. We added the whole festival, Crest yep. Fest, which Brooklyn Kitchen has been a huge part of since the, uh, from the get-go. Um, so that, that was massive. Crest Fest was great. Um, yeah. To see that even grow from just the art show to adding music to adding vendors and uh, and then uh, you know performances it was it was really cool and it was uh, you know I'd be lying if I said if it wasn't just great for the community but it was fantastic for the store right you know you spend advertising dollars as a small business you know you hope and pray that it you know gets a couple of um, you know new sets of uh, feet in the door right but you create this event that's yep. free to attend so you know. I, th- I think the average attendance for of a Crest Fest throughout the year is about 5,000 people. So even if half of wow. them were new people, you've got 2,500 new people that have never set foot in your yeah. store before that are like, holy crap, they do cool things. They've got a wide array of stuff. And when I need to buy a screwdriver, there it is. Bingo. And that was one of the main reasons, too, why my dad um, invited Gene Poole to take the windows to begin with in the 90s. He's like, well, once they're finished looking at the artwork in the window, they'll look past it and see our wonderful store. You know, so right. it's, it's it has to serve on multiple levels. I be, you know, lying through my teeth if I said I'm a business person as well. Sure. I need to make sure that it's a, it's also beneficial. You know. Yeah. How many employees do you guys have? I mean, it fluctuates depending on the high season or low season. Spring and summer, obviously, being really busy with the garden center, but twenty plus on like yeah. twenty plus on average, even in our slower um, season. So it can go upwards of almost thirty. You know. Yeah. Um, during the spring and summer, yeah, totally. Um, so you mentioned that, uh, there's a toothpaste called crest. Do you guys ever have any problems with, with them from a naming perspective? Luckily, no, um, never, no, yeah. never. Um, tell me about your, uh, your cease and desist for your domain name. Though. Oh yeah. Oh, so, I, so I, we were talking before about, I have this like kind of like domain hoarding problem <laughs> and, um, and some of them are crest related or like you know hardware related some of them completely uh, random so the one that was i was talking about before i was on this uh kick of buying dot nyc's and i own a, a, a ton i own like police department dot nyc sanitation <laughs> department dot nyc and one that i bought because i'm because i'm a member of that union i was like oh let me buy sag aftra dot nyc and screen actors guild dot nyc <laughs> and you know not for the sake of you know like I, I wasn't trying to like just like sit on them i'm like you know have these maybe ideas and if i get around to it um i get around to it but uh soon thereafter i got like an official letter from like lawyers of theirs saying you know you know, you, you got to give this up or whatever. And I put up a little bit of a fight, but I'm no, you know, I'm, I wasn't going to like fight him tooth and nail on right. that. And I was like, fine, have him, you know, as long as you give me back what I paid for the domains, right. that was pretty much <laughs> it. And I'm a Screen Actors Guild member. So I didn't want it to like, I was hoping that they wouldn't go that far and be like, Hey, we're going to mess with your union right. membership. Right. Um, now, so, so w- why are you a Screen Actors Guild member? Uh, I am a Screen Actors Guild member because, uh, I did a lot of acting as a kid. Um, um, from, you know, commercials and TV shows, movies, stuff like that. And, um, and I, but I, and I, but I don't anymore, but I still believe in the union and I, I still believe in what they stand for, um, uh, for the actors. You know, we only see 
a lot of like the actors who are obviously the most popular ones. So right. it's hard to feel sorry for them when they're not, you know, making a ton of money. But there are a lot of people that, you know, are like hustling every day, having sure. to put on a number of different hats within like two hours, three hours notice and rem- memorize all these sides. And, and there's a lot that goes into that. And uh, the union is there for them. So I continue to pay my dues even if I'm not going on a single audition in the last 10 years. Um, um, did, did that acting lead to your work as a mascot? as a team mascot? Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, cause it was always a performance thing. And right. when I was in high school, I was always on the stage doing, you know, one drama or musical or another. And I noticed that there was never a mascot at the basketball games or football games. So I asked the athletic director and he shows me this really dusty paper mache kind of like feather. I don't know, it's a, it's a, we were the terriers, St. Francis prep terriers. This, this costume hadn't like been un, unearthed since like the eighties. Uh, but I put it on. Uh, it smelled like the 80s, for sure, inside. But I did it, and I loved it. I really, really loved it. I thought it was an opportunity to perform and challenge myself because it's all mimery. You're not allowed to talk, and you have to really be expressive. And um, and I, I really loved it. There was something I really loved. So my sister, who went to Fordham, like I mentioned before, was the um, uh, captain of the cheerleading squad. And she was a senior while I was a se- She was a senior at Fordham when I was a senior in at St. Francis Prep. So I knew a lot of her teammates. So I um, mentioned that I was interested. So I was the mascot at Fordham University for four years. And during my junior year, um, there were some New York Liberty uh, brass that were there to scout for female players. Um, For those of you who don't know the New York Liberty, it's the WNBA team that plays at Madison Square Garden. And uh, so they were there scouting for players. They found no players, but they saw me performing and doing like, you know, anything from like a Michael Jackson skit or uh, I got really good at um, um, half court shots over my head and hitting them with, you know, pretty good consistency. So they reached out to the athletic director and they said, we want him to try out to be the mascot for the, the New Liberty. York Liberty. <laughs> yeah. So in my junior year, so I'm still in school, but the good news is, is that the Liberty season is during this, during the summer. So I wasn't in school, which was great. So I nailed the, I nailed the tryout. And then for eight years, I was the mascot at Madison square garden. And that was really, really cool. Um, uh, an experience I'll never forget. And I would, I mean, I would if I if I wasn't so busy, I would maybe you know don the helmet again. But it's uh, it was great, you know, to be to participate in a lot of firsts. You know, mm. speaking of uh, politics, one year we were kicked out of Madison Square Garden for the um, for the season because of the uh, Republican National Convention. Right, the RNC was there. Yeah, the RNC was there a while back, so we had to uh, figure out where the hell are we going to play because there's no other stadium. At the time, that was that big. This is way pre-Barclays Cent- Barclay yeah. Center. Uh, so we found a home at Radio City Music Hall. Um, so wow. I got, yeah, which was interesting. The court fits on the stage. Wow. All the season ticket holders were, the courtside holders, there were still enough seats on the stage. But it's interesting. But everybody like, else was just in the auditorium? Yeah, it's like this like one-dimensional Whoa. basketball. It was wild. But I got to perform on the stage at Radio City Music Hall. And not cool. a lot of people can say that. And then, you know, you go over your sheets. My first day there, I'm really excited at Radio City Music Hall going through, like, you know, all the, the punch list for the day, what, what timing we have to hit for timeouts. And, but it also says what, you know, what, um, so-and-so is in this locker room or the guest, um, for the day is in this. And, uh, it's like, you know, mascot, you know, Joe is in, uh, the, the camel room. And I'm like, what the hell is the camel room? Sure enough, it's where they keep the camels during, during the, during the, <laughs> during uh, the Christmas. Christmas spectacular. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's all these like 
like um, stainless steel like feed boxes that fold out of the wall so wow. they can be fed. And that's there year round. The brooms are there year round. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that was really cool. Performed at the first ever professional outdoor basketball game at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, so a lot of, and I met a lot of interesting people. I mean, like Joan Jett was a you know season ticket holder. Um, you know, the Beastie Boys were always like courtside and stuff. Uh, so it was great. You see, you know, the the usual, you know, the Spike Lees of uh, of uh, MSG that would go yeah. to the game. So it was great. It was a fantastic uh, time. And I stayed in great shape because of it. You lose about like f- five pounds of water weight a game. I yeah, mean, I bet. Yeah. yeah. And I was dunking off a trampoline at MSG. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so I realized we're we're running we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We didn't really talk that much about food, which the show is sometimes about. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit a little bit about food. Um, you you mentioned uh, when I was asking you some questions I asked my guests before the show mm-hmm. um, that mushroom risotto as the default vegetarian <laughs> menu yeah. option at weddings was your pet peeve. Oh, it's so irritating. Like mostly not. I'm an omnivore, so it doesn't bother me as much. But the the eye roll I get from my wife, who just recently is a pescatarian, but mostly defaults to vegetarian dishes she's like oh my god another mushroom risotto dish she's like this is terrible like there's so many more creative things you can do but um more so so (laughs) happy wife is happy life so if she gets a really good meal then i'm like okay great this is awesome you know actually that uh, a couple of weeks ago i interviewed peter Meehan from lucky peach who just wrote a really great book called power vegetables so uh perhaps uh Maybe Liza should find that in her stocking this year. Yeah, so all right. It's yeah, a right. good vegetable uh, cookbook. I'll jot that down for sure. <laughs> um, well, uh, you can find out more about uh, Crest Hardware. Uh, the Crest website is crest.nyc, among the many .nyc <laughs> domain names that Joe owns. Yeah. Um, you can follow on Instagram at Crest Hardware um, and, and definitely follow at Franklin the Pig. <laughs> um, and stop in. You know, I, I encourage anybody, um, whether you're in New York or not, if you happen to be in Brooklyn, it really is a great, great sort of example of, um, you know, what a local store can be and should be, um, and why we need to kind of, I think, hold on to and protect those things. You know, we, we have just had this very sort of, I think, uh, for at least half the country for 50 million of us or so kind of shake up, um, in what we thought was going to happen for the presidential election. Um, and we've been on a track for a long time where small stores are disappearing from the landscape You're kidding me. and, yeah. you know, large chains are coming in and bringing sort of this like homogenous thing to the country and i think crest is a real example of you know what is so great about a small store and why we need to keep that alive yeah i definitely agree i think it's um this is like i mean today in particular is a a day to kind of reflect on on stuff like that I, i was having like a random conversation with somebody on the train and it was like i mean we've seen some we've seen some gnarly stuff as new yorkers i mean um um you know Ironically, today is November 9th, but everywhere else, which is 11, 9, and everywhere else is oh, yeah, I didn't think 9, that. 11. Right. And it, there was very much this kind of um, um, shell shock right. on the train. Everybody just like thousand yard stairs, not really paying attention. So I'm sitting there just kind of like reflecting internally about, you know, our ability as New Yorkers to set the example and to kind of rise above and to continue to... Um, Stay positive and um, and stay civic and yep. um, and and do what we know and what we believe in 
and um, be better people on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Joe, so much. Is, it, pleasure, is there anything yeah. coming up at Crest? You guys just had the um, pumpkin carving contest. Yeah, that was, that was great. Happens every year uh, the weekend before Halloween. Definitely check it out next year. It's a, the, the best carved pumpkins anywhere. Yeah, show up. Some, some real talent carving vegetables. Yeah. It's really, really great. <laughs> but yeah, we had about 500 people show up, families and stuff. That was really awesome. Uh, what do we have going on? We're working with uh, our second year. Um, we're going to be working with the Standard Hotel in the East Village, um, doing like a really fun kind of pop-up winter wonderland. So if you live in the city and you need to get a Christmas tree and you want to just like have a nice like awesome warm cocktail outside uh we'll probably be doing that closer to you know thanksgiving and post thanksgiving all the way through uh the holidays um but other than that business as usual crest will be grinding through but uh yeah who knows maybe the art show will come back one of these years too <laughs> not putting a date on it or yeah you know I, i'm promises. confident it'll be back yeah it'll be back at some point indeed just like macarthur right yeah i'll be back <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody, and thanks, Joe, for coming on. Uh, thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, my producer here, and to David Tattashore, who engineers this show every Wednesday. And you can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you find your podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram, at The Foodballer. Talk to you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.